This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach. Heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I am really excited. It's hard to contain it uh, to welcome our exclusive guest, Canadian icon, entrepreneur, thought leader and creator, the incredible Erica M. Originally a much music television host who we all grew up with, Erica is known for her pioneering work in content marketing and social media. She is the founder of the digital agency M and Company. M&Co, and niche publishing brand YMC.ca, both focused on the desirable mum market. Under Erica's leadership over 15 years, her company's earned over a dozen prestigious awards. Her collaborations with health researchers earned her a Governor General's Innovation Award nomination. She wrote a new YouTube musical series for kids called Out of the Books, which is launching on YouTube. And her new podcast, which is Fabulous, by the way, Reinvention of the VJ features interviews with the personalities from Much Music, peppered with inspiration for reinvention. Erica has built really a multimedia portfolio, including credits as an author, journalist, playwright, actor, television host, award winning songwriter, and sought off after speaker. Her remarkable ability to reinvent. Influence, create, and lead is what drives Erica. It really is a thrill to have you here. Erica, welcome to Finding Your Bliss. I'm so happy to be here. It's great to have you. So I, like everyone else in our generation, Erica, first knew you as a much music VJ, and you were really one of the first batch of VJs to grace Canadian airways back when Much Music launched in 1984. And like many in our generation, I was in awe of you because of your very cool style, your fabulous on-air persona, and your likability factor. But you actually really got your start in Montreal at Shom in the late 70s when you entered a contest on Shom FM to have Max Webster play in the Marianopolis cafeteria, which I remember very well because I went there too. And that was so cool. And while your school didn't win the contest, you landed a job at Shom FM in the music library. That must have been a dream come true. What do you remember about that time? Well, I remember everything about it. Uh, But when I think back to it today, I remember how I was just completely driven. I had the eye on the prize. Nothing could stand in my way. I fearlessly asked for what I wanted. I never thought about consequences. I never thought about being rejected. I just knew that in order for me to do what I wanted to do, I just had to keep on asking a ton of people until someone said yes. And I think that when people sense that passion, that intensity, uh, that confidence, they're more likely to say yes. Now, I've had many no's in my life, far too many recently, but There is something about, um, I think, my authentic desire to do the work 
or be a part of what it is that I want to be a part of that allows me to, um, to get a lot of positive, I guess, reactions from people around me. And it's that bravery and confidence that when I speak or when I write or when I work with people, that's, that's what I try and instill in people. I know that you have it. You are like driven, uh, Judy. You, you just can't help but sort of work with people and connect with people. And it is, again, it's, it's very appealing. It's hard to say no to you. And I think that is true. I know you're laughing because it's true. But that's, that is what makes people successful. Absolutely. But you have been one of the, my role models. And and really, and I think you've been a role model for our whole generation and really for the next generation, for our daughters, because you do inspire young women and all women at any age to do it. And really, that's why I've been so excited to have you on the show. I want to go back to, to Shom. So you're in Montreal and somehow you end up at the coolest station in the country, City TV, mm-hmm. first as a receptionist and then as I, I always thought the first, but I learned from your podcast that you were not the actual first VJ, but one of the first and certainly one of the most famous. How, what happened? How did that all transpire going from a receptionist at City to becoming one of the first VJs at Much Music, like the coolest job in the country? Well, what you're talking about is you're asking me to synthesize in two minutes or less <laughs> how I went from a passionate 16-year-old teenager or 17-year-old who was working at Shom FM to a 23-year-old, so that's seven years, um, landing a job on Much Music. All I can tell you, rather than going through the whole sort of storyline, you can listen to my podcast for that because I do talk a lot about it. But what I can tell you is that I found many opportunities to do the work to put myself in front of the right people, to work harder than anybody else in the room, and to show up, even though sometimes it was terrifying, um, sometimes or often I wasn't very good at what I did, but I was relentless. (laughs) And I just kept on putting myself out there and improving at what I did. And, And also, I think it's important to exceed people's expectations. So whatever job I did, I stayed the longest. I tried to work the hardest. I tried to be the easiest to work with. I tried to get as much experience in the industry as I, as I could. So when they eventually came around to picking the next female on Much Music, because I was already working at City TV answering the phones, they saw how passionate I was about music and how I would be helpful and involved all the time. That's when they chose me. After, of course, I made a demo tape, which wasn't very good. But (laughs) they knew that I worked hard and they knew that my heart was in the right place. And I think that's what people look for. I mean, I'm hoping that in careers, people don't look necessarily for only the person who's best at the job, but they also look for potential 
and I was brimming with potential back in the day. <laughs> you sure were. I love this story, and I have listened to your podcast, Reinvention of the VJ, and I love it. I mean, some of my favorite episodes are the Jeannie Becker episode and the Teresa Roncon mm. episode, but my all-time favorite, favorite episode is your episode with Strombo, and I think I wrote about it on Apple somewhere in the comment section because, Erica, I was just on the edge of my seat. I don't know what your preparation was like for that George Strombopoulos interview, but I was so on the edge of my seat, like I, like many, just eating up every word because it was like reliving our generation. And yet it was also about where we're at now. That's the best part of uh, Erica's podcast, guys, is that it's not just about the past. It's about how you're reinventing yourself now. But there was something about that one. And it went on long. I know many of the podcasts were 55 minutes, 60 minutes. This was about, an, I want to say, close to an hour and a half. And I couldn't stop. My husband actually said, turn it off. What are you doing? It's three in the morning. What are you listening to? <laughs> and I said to Strombo and Erica, it's fabulous. What was that like interviewing him? What is interesting about my interview with Strombo is that we'd only met, I think, once or twice before. I never worked with him. He came way after me. So I didn't really understand the power of George. I was excited to interview him because I'd, I'd heard such amazing things about him. And every episode of my podcast is very well researched. I mean, I think that that is, as you do as well, I think it's really important to, and respectful, to come in prepared and that way you're able to have a conversation that you fill in some of the blanks so the guest doesn't have to tell the same stories like you're doing for me. And that way they can go off and talk a little bit more philosophically about ideas that are important to them. George has a lot of ideas. George is, uh, I, I had no idea how passionate he is about music, about broadcasting, and I think most importantly, about his audience. He exists in order to be there for his audience. That He feels a strong responsibility. In fact, I was really impressed with his ability to be kind of nerdy and talk about how <laughs> and allow himself to be sweet and sensitive and um, respectful to women. He's very respectful to women. He's respectful to everybody. He is. It's And what I love about him is that he is, he aligns himself with the punk rock ethos, but at the same time, he is one of the most genuine, sweet, down to earth, intelligent people that I've ever met, which is what makes him so fascinating, is that very few people who would consider this, themselves punks would be as polite as he is or as sensitive as he is, I don't think. Of course, I'm stereotyping here, but he doesn't have any anger. So the punk rock isn't about anger. It's about sort of disruption rather than anger. And that is exciting. That is what I love. It, it's what appeals to me in people. It's people who challenge the status quo. That's George. 
Yes. Yes. Well, I have to tell you that one, everyone who's listening to this reinvention of the VJ Erica M's podcast available on all podcasting platforms. Listen to this interview. They're all great. But there was something about this one. And going back many, many years, I want to talk as in a very different way. Your interview that went viral with Kurt Cobain is another one of those examples. Like I was watching and I was really analyzing like what's happening here. You were cool. There was a connection. There was a dance. It was really a dance between Kurt and between you. And he who normally wouldn't give as much to an interviewer was giving you a lot. And I think it's because you'd done your research. He liked you. There was sort of a sexy thing happening there. I don't know. What was that like? Because that was a very fabulous interview. I went into that interview not looking forward to it. I wasn't really a fan. I also had heard a lot about him, that he was not a fan of journalists, didn't like being interviewed. And so my approach, my strategy was for him to see me not as mainstream media, but as me. So not a broadcaster, not a VJ, but just me. And I did that by sort of surprising him when he walked into the hotel room. This was in a junket. And a junket is where uh, the media invites journalists from, in this case, around the world. And oftentimes they do it in hotels. Every journalist gets a specific room to work in. And the artist moves from room to room. It's soul crushing, especially for the artists because they're asked the same stupid questions by the same stupid journalists, myself included. And I knew that. And I thought of all people, he would hate it the most. So when he walked into the room, I said to him, so do you want to do the interview in the bed or on the balcony? And he kind of <laughs> looked at me, he was sort of taken, he was like, what? And, uh, and he said, okay, we'll, we'll do it on the balcony. I was like, sure. But I, I got him to look at me and to see me because I asked him something that surprised him. So he was looking at me like, who is this person? Then when we started to do the interview, um, we were doing, at the time, it's a two-camera shoot. So it doesn't happen the same way now. Now in social media, you know, you just use your iPhone, you hold it out and you interview someone or it's just from one person's perspective. But in the old fashioned days, the way we used to do it is the camera would be set up over my shoulder and I would be asking the questions and my guest would be answering the questions on camera. I'm not seen in the shot. Perhaps you can see the corner of my shoulder or my hair in it. And then after the interview, we do what's called re-asks, which is when the camera turns around, sometimes the guests will be generous enough to stay there. Oftentimes they're not there. And you basically have to act. You have to re-ask mm -hmm. the, the questions, nod. right? <laughs> the listening shot, and you get an opportunity to formulate the questions in perhaps a different way, perhaps a more professional way. Um, so that's what I did. I interviewed him. I was very casual in the way that I spoke to him. I was very playful. I was very, I asked the questions in a very simple way. No one was supposed to hear me ask those questions. What was supposed to happen is that 
I spoke to him in a specific way in order to get the kinds of answers that I wanted. And then the camera turned around after, and I asked the questions in more of a journalistic way. And then I would get those answers. But someone took the tape, the raw tape is what we call it, the unedited tape, and they posted it on YouTube. And so, first of all, no one saw me, so no one knew that it was me doing the interview, God damn it. And <laughs> they heard me sort of fooling around with him, being goofy in order to make him forget that we were filming. I wanted it to be a conversation, not an interview. So a lot of people who saw that interview thought there were two schools of thought. One was who was that amazing interviewer who got a fantastic interview from Kurt Cobain and other people saying, who is that dumb broad who's <laughs> asking him the dumbest questions or sound like the dumbest questions? Yes. They were not supposed to hear the questions in that way. Anyway, the bottom line was it became an iconic interview um, with Kurt Cobain because I did allow him to be himself. And we got a glimpse into the person who perhaps may have forgotten that the camera was rolling for a little bit of that time. Mm -hmm. He appeared almost shy and very lovable and likable. And there was something about him in that interview that I'd never seen before. Like you sort of really got to his humanity, I felt. It was really yeah, interesting. Well, it's by looking people in the eye and talking to people like a human. I didn't act like he was some big deal. I talked to him like he was he was a guy. He was my peer. He's around the same age as me. And we're both in the music business. And we both love music. And we both want the world to be a better place. Let's chat. Yeah, so cool. Erica, you became a, a real star. So I just, like everyone, saw you become a real star on Much Music. And I love the story in one of your podcasts, and I don't remember which, but I remember hearing this, that you were walking on Queen Street, which was like your home away from home at the time, and you heard this psh, 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 whispering. And you were going, what, what is that? What is that sound? And suddenly you realized it was people recognizing you. Mm -hmm. What was that like the first time that happened? Because that must have been a very cool or maybe unnerving, I don't know, experience. Well, the weird thing was when I got my job on Much Music, I had been working in that office for three years already. And what happened really was that I had the same desk. I just had a different job. So there is there was no sort of... Uh, discussion of fame when you get the job. It was just that my job changed. I was not prepared for people to watch me. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but all I wanted to do was I wanted to be the one interviewing the bands. I wanted to be the one who would be curating the music for Canadians to listen to. I was not expecting to be famous. It still matters not a bit to me. I don't like it. And I feel like it gets in the way of my career. I feel like people still consider me somewhat untouchable or, you know, I wouldn't hire Eric or Erica M wouldn't come work with me because she's Erica M. So I find it rather limiting, in fact. And the first thing I do when I talk to anybody or 
someone meets me, they'll eventually, oh my God, you're so normal. And I go, yes, I am normal. You know, just because you had a job talking about music on television doesn't make you any more important or even close to as important as someone like a healthcare worker or a mechanic or someone who actually does something with their hands and makes the world a better place. You're terrific. I got to tell you that. Was there an epiphany at in those 10 years that you were at Much Music? Was there an epiphany with someone? It could even be someone that you worked with or with with one of the one of the stars, one of the musicians, one of the singers that you met. Anyone where you just went, "Oh my god, it really doesn't get any better than this. I love music. I'm around it. I'm really in my bliss and I'm loving this." I was grateful every day for my job, I have to say. I really, I loved it. It lit me up. It basically ticked all the boxes of who I want to be. I want to be someone who inspires positive change in the world. I believe it's really important to be a role model. And it allowed me the platform to do that. I'm obsessed with music and creativity. So I got to go to the well and talk to the people who who experienced this incredible um, connection with music and words and lyrics and performance. To be in their presence and to sort of uh, absorb what they had to say was really an incredible gift. I I really, as you mentioned earlier on, I really was living my dream. Plus, I was able to make it really casual so I had like my grandmother would drop by much music and she would come on or my girlfriend, Wendy Lands, as you met, you, you know, Wendy, she would come on like my girlfriends would just come on and be a part of the show. <laughs> so I felt like um, I felt like it, I was bringing everything together in my life. And uh, I was like I mentioned, always grateful. I was able to get tickets to every show to go backstage to wear great clothes, which I picked, by the way, there was no wardrobe person or anything like that. Um, but it was everything that I loved. And um, that's what I miss. I miss having all of those pieces together in one career or one job. I don't have that anymore. Even though what's interesting is after you left Much Music and you started Yummy Mummy Club, which was, you know, in itself, like such an incredible, stunning Mm. achievement, and you got the Yummy Mummy show. And I'm going to tell you a funny story that I was thinking about this morning as I was preparing for this. We were, so we, I was a reporter on your show and I was so honored to be on the real life with Erica M. It was the coolest. And I remember walking by the control room. And for those of you, if you've ever been in a control room, there's about 10 television sets all lit up at the same time with your image, I think, on all of them. So you were on one of the monitors and Phyllis Newman, who was the producer Mm. on the first season of this show, was also one of the producers on your show. And she looked up at you and she said, God, that Erica, she is so talented. And also she is so pretty. And I said, it's true. And it's true. You were, and you still are. But I just remember that period. How did that all happen? And did you enjoy that? Because that had ticked a lot of the boxes as well. You were on camera, getting wardrobe, getting your makeup done, interviewing really cool people all across Canada. And this was all inspired by your whole yummy mummy kingdom. So was that a 
a fabulous period as well. So are you talking about my TV show, Real Life with Erica M., which is what Phyllis worked on? Well, that that was way before I was a mom. That was three years before I became a mom. And it was an interesting uh, transition from being on Much Music, where I only spoke about Much Music, or about music in general, I was bored of it. And so the Real Life with Erica M. show was actually a transition for me to talk about things that mattered more in life. And you're right, I talked about all kinds of interesting um, aspects of our daily lives. I met with incredible people doing interesting things. And then people who were doing, let's call them conventional things, where I was able to learn about more of the domestic world, which I knew nothing about because I've, I've always been on TV and I've never had kids and all that kind of stuff. So I started learning about a different way of life. In fact, cooking and, and, and <laughs> cooking and and um, yeah. home design, fitness, uh, science. I mean, it was it was a really fantastic two years. I did 180 shows each year, and I met, and there were four guests on each show, and the show was live to tape every day for one hour. And it was, it was again, another one of those career highlights, something that I would love to do again, something that the idea of interviewing people about what matters to them, that to me is my bliss. And you were so good at it. And, uh, and I know you'll do it again and, and, and you'll be coming back on to tell me about the new gig, I'm sure. <laughs> right. Let's talk about Yummy Mummy Club because this was, that was another reinvention as it were, that was uh, just outstanding, really. And you created this whole uh, conglomerate, this whole brand. I, I thought at the time you're almost like an Oprah for for the yummy mummy world. What was that like? What inspired you? How did it all evolve? And what did you love about that period? We're going to find out all about the yummy mummy club when we come back after this short commercial break with Canadian media icon and entrepreneur Erica M. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And we're joined by the incredible Erica M. And Erica, you were just telling us before the break about your brainchild, the Yummy Mummy Club. Well, when I became a mom, I had a very difficult time. I felt like I was the worst mom on the planet. And I was thinking, if I feel like that, I imagine that other women are also struggling with the fatigue and the guilt um, the sacrifice, the fear, the anxiety. 
And so I decided to do something about it. So I started a TV show called Yummy Mummy, which ran on Life Network and Discovery Health around the world. And when that show was done after two years, I started a little tiny website, writing articles, telling stories. And I basically built a platform where I had about 50 uh, creators or writers, all of whom had a specific niche. And it really was... um, and still is sort of a feminist platform to remind women that they're more than somebody's mom and that we all continue to have interests outside of motherhood. Uh, and we all have stories that will connect other moms. I mean, it was really important for me to remind women and let women know that you're not alone because I found that having kids was very isolating. So it was life-changing for me. I've been doing it now for 15 years. I've built an incredible community of like-minded women. I think that I have helped transition the concept of motherhood in Canada to be one where women are comfortable uh, taking care of themselves, sometimes first, sometimes before their kids, because we understand now that if we're not empowered and if we don't feel good about ourselves, then we're not good to anybody else. And I also created a business model. So I helped sort of lead the, I guess, the the uh, development of influencers in Canada, of content marketing, and of connecting brands to a community using people from the community to tell the story. And I'm really proud of that. That's amazing. That's M and Co. That's M and Company, right? That you're talking about now brand marketing. It's brilliant stuff. Mm -hmm. And I love that during this I'm not going to use that word that we all that we all say unprecedented. Let's just say insane year that year and a half almost that we've all been going through that you did that study, that nationwide study where you discovered that only 7% of Canadian women were satisfied with their lives and really having a hard time with what people call homeschooling but you call covid schooling. I for me I think because we have such um deep roots in the mom community across the country Again, I feel a responsibility to sometimes do research and sometimes it's on behalf of a brand. Oftentimes it's on behalf of our community to understand what moms are really feeling. So we did a COVID state of mom survey to understand how moms were feeling during lockdown. And yes, only 7% of moms said they were doing okay, which meant 93% of moms said that they were struggling to some degree. We did a follow up. Uh, survey last month, and the numbers are pretty much the same. So women have never before had such a hard time. Uh, I mean, the idea of raising X amount of kids without any help, no babysitters, no in-laws, no grandmothers, no teachers, mom doing it all on top of that, often working at the same time. It has been an impossible situation for women, and there is nothing that I could do or my company could do except to say you're not alone, and this is real, and this is wrong. So um, that I think that is a my role. I think I continue to be a spokesperson for Canadian moms. Fantastic. What What are some of your coping strategies for COVID burnout? And I know I saw you getting your vaccine, so I know you looked so happy. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful when you get that first vaccine? Yes. Like, wow. Um, so what what have, what has been some of your 
COVID coping strategies to get through? Because we are getting to the end of it, but we're still in it. Well, for me, I'm very lucky when um, my mom died two years ago, as you know, and um, she left my sister and I some money. And I just took all that money and I went to the country and I bought myself a place in the country, which I'm speaking to you from today. Um, this was before COVID. This was just a dream that I always had that I wanted a place, uh, you know, in in the country. And I had no idea how it would be sort of a game changer for me during COVID. So when last March, two Marches ago now, year and a half ago, when COVID really hit, I kind of moved up here and my family would come and visit me. I'd go home sometimes. And as um, the schools became locked down, my daughter would come up here with me and she'd bring her boyfriend or a friend with her. And it allowed everybody to get out of the house and to feel safe. And um, it's we're still doing it. My daughter is here with her boyfriend again and they do their schoolwork from here. My husband is at home taking care of the house back in the city, and um, I get to live a little bit stress-free here. That's so fantastic. And to have a little bit of a respite, because I think that's part of the thing for a lot of people, is that you're sort of locked up, and you feel you have nowhere to go. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, as I say it, I want you to know that I understand how privileged I am. I understand that. I mean, it is... I can't believe how lucky I am. I understand the fact that I have a big yard in the country and access to the water while so many people are stuck in tiny little apartments with young families, with no backyards. Um, I, I just want you to know that I understand that. And I, I, I struggle, like how do, like those of us who have access to that, it's we okay. can't, help anybody because we're not allowed. We're not allowed yeah. to. That's the hardest. That's, mm -hmm. that's the hardest person. Cause I know you're an outward focused person and I know you're mm. the kind of person that would give your backyard. If it wasn't COVID, you'd say, let's come on over, let's have a barbecue. Yeah. And you would invite everybody. And you've always been like that. You, you know, since um, your nonfiction book, she should talk about life dreams and success which I think also helped launch your speaking career. You've always been an advocate for women and for children and for people to empower people. And even your talks, I've seen your talks and I've read about the reaction to your talks. You're so um, confident and authentic. And I think that's a huge word for you. I think you're confident, mm -hmm. but you're also just yourself. And people love that. And the more yourself you are, the more people can really relate to that. Also, I just want our, our listeners to know that there's a whole other side to Erica. You are a songwriter, an award-winning songwriter. You won a Juno Award. Yep. Can you tell us about, are, are you still writing music? Is that still something that's exciting? Yeah, I'm writing a little bit. It's, it's hard because I'm not a musician, so I'm more of a lyricist. So it's challenging to find the right musician who is looking for the kind of lyricist that I am. So it's, uh, I happen to be a songwriting partner to a guy named Tim Thorny for a decade. And together we put a bunch of albums out and yes, we did win a bunch of awards and it was a, it was a rewarding experience. And I don't mean just in the number of awards we won together, but again, just the creative process is what turns me on. So, um, yeah, I miss that a little bit now these days because I obviously can't do it as much. 
but I did write a play, a theatrical play with a composer out of LA. And uh, we did that on FaceTime, actually, over the years, I, I over the last year. And then when the show was supposed to launch, it's called Out of the Books. It was supposed to launch in uh, Scotland at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And then when oh. COVID hit, the play was canceled. So uh, his name is Brian Banks and I, we um, reinvented the play and we recorded it on, um, all, we cast the actors from around Europe and the United States. We sent all the actors iPhones and green screens Actually, we didn't send them. They each had iPhones. We sent them green screens and they each shot their roles against green screens in their apartments. And then um, we directed them on Zoom. And uh, now you can see it. It's on YouTube and it's a really fantastic musical for families. So it's just called Out of the Books. Out of the Books on YouTube. Google yeah. Out of the Books. That is fabulous. Like, I love yeah, that. Thank you. Like, that is really, really fabulous. Now, what also people may not realize, and I was there, I saw you in it, you were in, and let me, I hope I can remember this, Unidentified Human Remains and the True Nature of Love, written by playwright Brad Fraser. You were an actress in that piece. I believe it was okay. a past Mirai. And you were with Stuart Hughes, so I know another wonderful actor. Okay. What was that like? And do you miss acting? Uh, well. It was the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. Even though I studied acting for years since I was a little kid, that's what I wanted to do. Um, it was, I, I can't thank Jim Milan, who is a director enough for hiring me for this role. It was incredible experience. We did it in Winnipeg and Montreal. Um, but I, I think ultimately I'm better at being me than another character. Although it was fun playing a, uh, a, uh, a psychic, um, slot. <laughs> uh, it was fun. Uh, but I'm more comfortable playing the role of Erica M and using my superpowers for good. So fantastic. Really, really amazing. You are constantly reinventing yourself over and over. And I want to just ask you, and you mentioned your mom, Evelyn Hannon, who has not only been one of the greatest loves of your life, but also a major influence in your life and career. Can you tell us a bit about your mom and how she's impacted you as this super successful entrepreneur and TV host and really human being and person? My mom really is my role model. And I say is because what she taught me still stays top of mind. My mother always followed her heart, did the impossible started a summer camp when she was in her early 20s um, and eventually started journeywoman.com, which is still one of the leading travel websites for women who travel. Um, and she taught my sister and I, uh, I don't know, she just infused us with confidence to be ourselves, to be unabashedly and unapologetically ourselves. And she also showed us how to work hard and to be sort of really laser focused on something that you love and make it happen. Um, and she also told me, taught me not to be afraid to ask for what I want in life. 
And that has been probably the best advice I've ever had. It's what has served me well. It's what has landed me many fantastic opportunities. And, you know, in some ways you would think that people come to me all the time now and offer me opportunities, but that really has never been the case. I very rarely can say that I was just sitting at home one day and the phone (laughs) rang and this great opportunity showed up. That's not the case. I would say probably 82% of the things that great things that have happened to me in my life didn't happen to me. I made them happen. And a lot of that is because my mom gave me the confidence and the will to make the impossible possible. That's so fantastic. That's so fantastic. I, I, I love that. What is bliss for Erica M? Um, bliss for me is creating with purpose. It's building something that matters on any medium, but it's something that will inspire people and light me up. That's what bliss is. That's, I think that's one of the best answers I've ever received on this show. I'm so I'm just so grateful to have had you here, Erica. I, I really mean it. It's um, you've inspired a whole generation, and I think you're inspiring uh, the next generation. And I'm really excited to see what's next for you because I just think you're a tremendous human being. And I'm wondering what is next. Is there something that you're dying to do or to work on or to make happen? Well, it's it's interesting because when I get hired to do keynotes, a lot of what I talk about is reinvention. And part of that is because I have reinvented so many times. I'm in that stage right now where I don't know what's next. I I'm in that really uncomfortable place where you look up at the sky and go, will that work? Well, maybe that will work start talking to people, start ruminating, reading, thinking, dreaming, asking, questioning. Um, I don't know what's next. And I'm, I think that's sort of, it's a scary and exciting place to be in because the world is very open right now. The world is changing right now. And I just don't know where I fit in. So it's part of the journey of discovery and reinvention to being open to opportunities that present themselves. And when I say opportunities, again, it would be great if somebody would knock on my door and say, hey, would you be interested in in this? That hasn't been the case in my life. So rather, as an opportunist, I'm always looking at the landscape and seeing maybe there's a place for me there or maybe I can build something there or maybe I can help over there and turn something or nothing into something or something into something better. <laughs> I love that. You know, uh, I don't know if you know Julia Cameron, the artist way beautiful. She's been on our show and she talks about, I think on page 24 to 27, writing about the morning pages, which is just waking up in the morning and writing three pages of stream of consciousness, often with your non-dominant hand. It's not necessarily to read back again, but it's quite brilliant. And she says to do it for 21 days because that's how long it takes for a new habit to come and miracles start to appear on the page. So I would try that because... Uh, Anyway, there's nothing you can't do. You've done it all. And I can't wait for you to come back. And I hope you will when you're doing your next chapter so you can tell us all about it. Thanks, Judy.
Erica, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you on social media? And how can everyone listen to your wonderful podcast? Well, you can search ericam.com. And the, the actual podcast is hosted there, but you can listen to it on anywhere uh, where podcasts are currently being broadcast from. And in terms of finding me on social media, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Just look for my name, Erica M., and say hi. Awesome. Thanks again, Erica. It was great. You're welcome. We're going to go to a short commercial break, more with Finding Your Bliss, and we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7, and I just have to tell you that I really loved talking to Erica M. She is just a wonderful soul and a true Canadian treasure. As I mentioned, Erica is also a songwriter, and I'm so happy to play a song that she co-wrote with Canadian country artist Cassandra Vasek. Cassandra is a singer-songwriter from Blenheim, Ontario. Signed to Epic Records, she released two albums and 11 singles for the label between 1991 and 1994. In 1992, Cassandra won the Rising Star Award at the Canadian Country Music Association Awards. She also won the 1991 and 1992 Juno Award for Best Country Female Vocalist. And in 2000, Vasek released a pop album, Different, on Parameter Records. The song we're about to play is the title track, Wildflowers, from the album Wildflowers, which Erica co-wrote and produced for Cassandra Vasek. Let's all have a listen to Wildflowers. That was so beautiful, Erica. Oh, and Cassandra. Thank you both. Thank you, Erica and Cassandra, for this gorgeous song. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, writer, or anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. Also, we encourage you to visit us at Finding Your Bliss magazine at www.findingyourbliss.com. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. In Bliss News, we are so excited to announce that we are doing a brand new giveaway with the fabulous Toronto Boutique Thursdays. They also were former guests on our show. And Thursdays is really one of the best places to shop in Toronto. The coolest thing about Thursdays is they get new arrivals every week on, you got it, Thursday. So excited about their gorgeous summer styles, easy dresses, and cute sets. Thursdays always gets it. So to win a $100 gift card to shop at Thursdays, all you have to do is tag two friends and follow us at the Bliss Minute 
and at Shop Thursdays on Instagram. Just go to at the Bliss Minute on Instagram for all the contest details. Good luck and happy shopping. I would like to thank my exclusive guest, the incredible Erica M for being on our show today. And of course, a big thank you as well to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. This show has been recorded by Squadcast. We're going to close out the show today with a short meditation. And here it is. Lie down on a comfortable surface and gently close your eyes. Let your arms rest slightly apart, palms up your legs flat on the ground and relaxed as well. Now sense your whole body, especially where it touches the surface you're lying on, and just start this mini body scan by following your breath and bringing your awareness to your feet. Begin by wiggling your toes, wriggle them, then flex and relax them, letting go of any tension there. And breathing all throughout, just in through the nose, out through the nose or mouth. Bringing your awareness to your lower legs, slightly tensing the muscles, and then relaxing them. Doing the same for your thighs now. Thighs relaxing. Hips relaxing. Continuing for the rest of your body, bringing awareness to your abdomen rib cage, chest relaxing, shoulders relaxing and letting go, arms relaxing, fingers relaxed, neck relaxing, letting go, throat relaxing, and head relaxing. Feel all of their heaviness melting into the ground and feel the calm in each part of your body. Wherever you sense tension, just tell that area to relax. And when you have scanned and relaxed your entire body, go back to your breath. And when you're ready, slowly wriggle your fingers and toes Stretch out your arms and legs. Open your eyes and gradually come to a sitting position and try to carry your mindfulness into the rest of your day. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.